Well, good morning, Golden Corner Church, and good morning to each of you who are visiting with us. You always make our Sunday so much better when you come by and visit with our church, and trust that, that God will bless you with a great experience here today. Last week, I started a brand new sermon series entitled The Difference Maker, and over the next several Sundays, we're just going to open up our Bible, and we're going to read, and we're going to learn about some people who had a personal encounter with Jesus. And as a result, he made a difference in their lives. Now, our hope and our prayer is by the time we reach the end of this series that Jesus has made a big difference in all of our lives as well. You see, Jesus is the difference maker, and he can make a difference when nothing else can. So, are you ready to study the Bible together this morning? Okay, we're going to be looking at a story. It's found in the New Testament book of Mark chapter 5. It's also found in the New Testament book of Luke chapter 8. And we're going to be reading a few verses from Mark chapter 5 in just a moment. But before we do, let me set the stage and tell you what is happening. Now, having survived a wicked storm on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his disciples have arrived at a place called the region of the Gerasenes. Now, as they were pulling their boat onto shore... They see this man running to them. He's running in their direction. And the closer he got, I believe the more unnerved the disciples became. Uh, He was naked, just as naked as the day he was born. He had this wild, crazy, dangerous look in his eyes. And uh, if you knew how many crude jokes I'm refraining from at this very moment, you'd be patting me on the back and saying, Good job, preacher. That showed a lot of restraint. He was filthy. His uh, hair and beard had not been trimmed or combed in forever. I believe that he reeked. I believe you could smell him long before he got to them. His body was a collection of scars and freshly opened wounds. And when he got to them, he fell at Jesus' feet. And Jesus immediately recognized what was wrong with this man. He knew that this man was possessed by a demon. Okay, time out. Ready? Quick theology lesson. I'm talking about really quick. In the beginning, God created an angel named Lucifer. Made him an archangel, which means he had leadership responsibilities. Lucifer was so arrogant, he felt like he ought to be able to assume God's role as leader of all creation. He was so persuasive and so clever that he convinced one-third of the angels in heaven to follow him in revolt against the throne of God. And how did their little revolt work out? Failed miserably. So God cast Lucifer, who became known as Satan or the devil, and all of the angels who followed him out of heaven, and guess where they landed? You got it. Planet Earth. They came to earth and established a kingdom in the very air we breathe, an invisible kingdom. Satan is the ruler, and these evil spirits, they follow him, and they do his bidding. These evil spirits are called demons at times. 
And Jesus knew that a demon has possessed this man, which means the demon has moved inside of him. It's, it's inhabiting his body, and it's now controlling his mind and controlling his behavior. And then Jesus spoke first, but not to the man. He spoke to the demon inside the man. And he commanded him, get out of that man. And then using this wild man's voice, the demon responded back. And he asked a question. He said, what do you want with me, Jesus? I find it interesting that this demon knew who he was talking to. And then he exclaimed and he says, you know, don't you torture me. Which means he also understood that Jesus had authority over him. Jesus responded in a way I found unusual. He asked the demon, what's your name? And the demon said, my name is Legion. For we are many, and the word legion was used to describe a unit of Roman soldiers numbering into the thousands. This one man was inhabited by and controlled by more than 2,000 demons. You know, he probably looked pretty good under the circumstances. The tragic tale of a life gone wrong is unfolding before us. I'm sure there was a time in this man's life when... He was normal, and his life was normal. According to the Bible, if you read either one of those, these accounts, he had a family. He at one time owned his own home. I'm sure he had a job, some way of making a living and providing for his family. He had friends and neighbors, probably was a very normal husband, dad, and friend. Probably a time when this man was a real asset to his community, but not now. Now he was under the control of evil spirits. At some point in his life, he cracked the door and allowed an evil spirit to enter his body. And I believe that evil spirit held that door open so that others could just flood. It's like a flood could stream into his body. Eventually, thousands of these spirits entered this man. These spirits or demons took control of him. They took control of the way he thought. They took control of his behavior and set him on a course for self-destruction. I want us to read the first five verses of Mark chapter 5. You ready? It says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by An evil spirit came out from the cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Luke chapter 8 also tells us, That the man had a real aversion to wearing clothes. He always wanted to be naked. Is it okay if I say naked? Would nude sound better for a preacher to say? But I'm from Oconee County. We call it naked. This man always wanted to be naked. If I said nude, 70% of you wouldn't even understood what that meant. Does he mean naked? 
Now, I want you to think about this. You go from being completely normal to being the town maniac. All this erratic, weird, self-destructive behavior. There had to be a first for all of that. Now, you think about this. Uh, The Bible said he cut himself with stones. There had to be a first for that. Man, I used my imagination, kind of picture that. You know, that maybe, maybe he just disappeared from the living room one evening. He was gone an exceptionally long period of time. The wife knocks on the bathroom door, says, Honey, you okay? There's no answer. She opens the door, and there he is, sitting in a pool of blood. Sharp stone there, where he has just slashed himself. I can just imagine that she called 911. He was rushed to the hospital, probably received some psychiatric attention after that. Maybe had a talk with his pastor. Luke chapter 8 tells us there were times when these demons would take control of him and he would just run up into the hills, into the wilderness, and disappear for days on end. You know, can you just see him excusing himself and, honey, I'm going to step outside for just a minute and you know what? Bedtime comes and he's not back in the house. She goes looking for him and she can't find him anywhere. Can you imagine how worried she was when he didn't come home at all that night and maybe the next night and maybe three or four nights in a row? She has no idea where he is. He comes walking back, has, probably has no recollection of, of even where he's been because the Bible said the demons were controlling him. They were driving him to do that. Man, erratic behavior. He's got to go back to the psychologist here. The Bible says he would howl like a wolf. Some of your wives are thinking, is there something wrong with that? Because my husband and I... (laughs) Can you imagine the first time that occurred? I pictured her lying in the bed. She's awakened about 2 o'clock in the morning. She hears the neighbor's hound dog howling. Perhaps she rolls over to tell her husband to go shut up that barking dog. She knows he's not there. She goes to the blinds, open up, and look, there's her husband on the back lawn howling at the moon like a wolf. Honey, we're going to have to up your medication. I wonder how it went down the first occasion when he decided, I'm not wearing these clothes. Maybe he was at a PTO meeting. He excused himself, honey, I've got to go to the restroom. Comes back, he's as naked as a pig bird. There he is. You know what people began to realize? I believe they worried about it. I hope they did. They worried about it. They began to see that maybe this guy's a threat to himself. And maybe he's a threat to us. Right? So they tried to restrain him. They chained him. They put shackles on him. And guess what he would do? He would break the chains. He would smash the shackles. And he would take off right back up into the hills. He loved to go up into the cemetery and, and dwell in the burial caves with the corpses, the rotting corpses and the, and the skeletons. And they would try it again. Same thing would happen. Try it again until finally they quit trying. And this guy, this is now this guy was settled in. And this is where he lived. How did all that happen? Demons took control of him. And they started robbing him en route to ruining him. Now, that's a critical phrase. We're going to come back to that in this sermon. 
they started robbing him en route to ruining him. In the end, we see that his life was absolutely ruined. They took his sanity. They took his job. They took his family. They took his home. They took his personality. And it seemed they had taken his future. Do you think this guy was happy with the direction his life had taken? I mean, when he was a little boy and somebody came and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I want to be the town maniac. That's what I want to be. I'm sure that he wanted things to be different. I'm sure that he had tried to change many times and failed every time. Apparently, others tried to help him change, and they failed every time. Why couldn't he just change? Why couldn't others successfully help him change? He was in bondage to something. He was enslaved by something. In his case, he was under the power of thousands of evil spirits. He was no longer in control, but rather he was now being controlled. The demons would not allow him to change. And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a real close look at this man. Because in this man, you could possibly see yourself. I'm not insinuating that anybody here is possessed by demons. But I want you to take a hard look at yourself. Have you evolved into someone other than who you really are? And that not in a good sense. You're not yourself and you haven't been yourself in a long, long time. You're not thinking clearly, nor are you acting rationally. The quality of your life is diminishing quickly. Your behavior is costing you. Perhaps you're like this man. You've lost relationships, jobs, possessions, reputation, health. And if something doesn't change, you're losing your future. You don't like what you've become. You don't like who you've become. You don't like your life. You don't like the direction you're going. You're slowly self-destructing, and you know it. You want things to be different, and you've tried to change. I know you have. You've tried over and over again. You've failed every time. You've enlisted the help of others and asked them to help you change, and they have failed every time because you, like the man in our story, you are under the control of something. At some point, you cracked the door and allowed something into your life. Never thinking that one day it would take over your life. I'm going to say that again. Some of you are dozing. And what I've got here this morning is your ticket out. There was a day when you opened the door of your life to something and you let it in, never thinking that one day that thing would take over your life. Take the control of your life away from you. Some of you have already recognized what I'm talking about. You're the prisoner of addiction.
Now, I know what, I know what people think. But wait a minute. We're not at an AA meeting. We're in church, Ronnie. Now, we're Christian people. Do you think that among our number here that we've got addicts? That we have people who are addicted to something? You'd be shocked. Some of you wouldn't. Most of you would. The Christian community, the church, is littered with people who are addicted to something that is robbing them en route to ruining them. There are a lot of you here this morning and in your heart. If you weren't ashamed, you'd you'd yell out right now, Amen. It's me. I know what he's talking about. I'm a Christian, I'm a good Christian, I'm a good person, but I have gotten addicted to something that is robbing me en route to ruining me. Is it pornography? Is it alcohol? Illegal drugs? Have you allowed yourself to become addicted to and are you abusing prescription drugs? Because this is, a, this, is a, this is a big one in our generation. Is it food? Is it spending? What has taken control of your life? It might be something other than these few things I've mentioned. Now, whatever it is, it's now firmly in control. And and that's why you just can't change. Am I talking to you? Because if I am, you need to hear the rest of this story. When we left off Jesus and this demon were talking. The demon spoke next and he had a question for Jesus. He said, would you do me a favor? I guess at this point he's speaking for the whole gang. Would you do us a favor? Please don't throw us into the abyss or the bottomless pit. Now he knows Jesus has authority. He's commanded that he's got to, he's got to leave. He said, and this bottomless pit is a place where some of these fallen angels are being held prisoner right now. And what he's saying is, please don't incarcerate us. Please don't take our freedom away. And he makes a strange request. There was a herd of pigs on the hill grazing. There were 2,000 pigs in the herd. And this demon says, rather than incarcerating us and taking away our freedom, would you just let us enter into the bodies of these pigs? What a strange request. Now, when I was a mailman, I ran into a dog or two that I felt like might be possessed. Pigs. You know what Jesus said? Okay. Get. The next thing you know, there's this mass evacuation of demons, all of them leaving this one man, and they're out and they go out there and they inhabit the bodies of these pigs. Now, my warped imagination, I've always kind of tried to picture what this had to look like. Now to see the pigs just Meandering along, grazing peacefully, and all of a sudden a demon comes in. I just picture the, the little pig going. And maybe the little curly tail went, ding. 
the hog herders, they could see that the pigs were panicky. But before they could do anything, I imagine an old sow squealed. And what happened next could best be described as a swine stampede. The hams scrammed. The hogs hustled and they made their way to an edge of a cliff where the porkers plunged to their death in the sea. Legend has it that when 2,000 pigs hit the sea at one time, it created a wave so big the locals described it as a tsunami. I've waited all week for that. All week. Now, if you're an animal rights activist, I know what you're thinking. I don't find this story humorous at all. Well, I'm with you. Every time I read it, a tear comes to my eyes. I think, what a waste of bacon. <laughs> I use a little humor in that, but that's what happened. The demons inhabited the pigs. The pigs said, not under my watch. I'll die before I give you a place to live. And they ran and jumped over a cliff and drowned, every one of them. Now the herders, they went back to town. They began to tell everybody this. Everybody came back out, and I want you to look what they saw. Verse number 15, Mark 5, 15. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Now this you've got to see. He was sitting there fully clothed, Perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Kind of like this. Sometimes we're afraid of what we don't understand. And in their fear, you know what they did? They went to Jesus and they begged him. They begged him. Please get out of our region. Get out. What do you think Jesus did? You think he sat down and tried to reason with him? Listen, I came to help. And, you know, if you just think for a moment about the power I just demonstrated and how that could be used in your community, in your lives, let's just give me a... Do you think he tried to reason with him? You know what he did? Jesus said, so you don't want me here? You want me gone? Right. He said, okay. Goodbye. I'll tell you, Jesus won't hang around where he's not wanted. So they're getting in the boat, and this guy who'd been possessed, who's now in his right mind, he goes to Jesus and said, you've got you to take me with you. And you know what Jesus said to him? No, 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 he, i got something for you to do. I want you to go back to your family, and they're going to see a, a real difference in you, and you've got to tell them what made the difference. You've got to explain to them, I made the difference. And then I believe there are ten towns that your town is a part of, a little circuit of ten towns. You're going to go from town to town to town telling them what I did for you. In other words, this man went from being a maniac to a missionary. That's the kind of difference Jesus made in his life. The man in our story was different. He changed dramatically. And how do we explain this transformation? Did he finally muster up the willpower? To regain the control of his life? No. Did he have a breakthrough session with his counselor? No. Did his family and friends orchestrate a successful intervention? No. Then how did this change come about? Jesus changed him. He didn't change himself. Jesus did for this man what neither he nor anyone else could ever do. Jesus miraculously changed him. 
Jesus freed or delivered this man from the evil spirits that dominated him, and the result was change. Thanks to Jesus, this man was himself again. He had his life back, and more importantly, he now had his future back. Now, what do we learn from this story? I've got to tell you this. One thing about Jesus you cannot forget. Jesus can make a difference when nothing else can. Did you get that? Jesus can make a difference when nothing else can. Jesus has power over whatever has power over you. He can break the stranglehold of addiction and set you free. Here's what that means to you. There's hope for you. Jesus is your hope. Jesus can make a difference when nothing else can. He can change you. He can change you dramatically. Through his power, you can be delivered. You can be yourself again. Through his power, you can get your life and your future back. Jesus has the power to change those who cannot change themselves. So, my question to you is this. Are you ready to be changed? Are you ready for things to be different? If so, here's what I'm recommending you do. Run to Jesus. Like the man in our story, you need to get to Jesus as quickly as you possibly can. You know why this man sought Jesus out? He had come to the end of himself and accepted the fact that I am fresh out of options. He had now recognized that Jesus is my only option. He was trusting in Jesus' power and in his power alone. Why? Because Jesus can make a difference when nothing else can. If you are an addict and a Christian, I know what you just felt. When I said, here it is, run to Jesus. If you are truly addicted to something and you know it and you are a Christian, your heart just sank. You say, what are you talking about? Well, you've heard that before. I hear it at the tail end of sermons on addiction all the time. Brian, that's what, that's, what every, that's what all the preachers say. Run to Jesus. End of sermon. Leaving addicts going, well, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? And so, I guarantee you this, you've prayed. Take this away from me. Take this away from me. Take take the desire to do this away from me. He does that sometimes, but it's rare. You've prayed it, and you've prayed it, and you've prayed it, and you still have the desire to do it. So, Ronnie, what does that mean, Ronnie, Jesus? Uh, you know Philippians 4.13 well, especially after, the, after Clemson won the national championship game. We all know that verse now. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, man, you've claimed that verse, and you've maybe even memorized that verse. I can do this. I can beat this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and yet you're still addicted. Some of you are just not very excited about what I just preached. 
because you're not sure I told you the truth. Here's truth. Jesus can make a difference when nothing else can. Here's truth. Jesus has more power than whatever it is that's taken over you. You know where the problem is? I just feel like when preachers preach and say, Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. They don't tell us what that means. You know what's lacking? They don't tell us how to so connect with Him that this power that can break us free from addiction can start flowing into us. They don't tell us. There are certain things we have to do to put the plug in the socket so that the power begins to flow. So that the next thing you know, we're fighting addiction not in our strength, but in his power. Does that make any sense to you? So where are we going, Ronnie? Oh, we got nine minutes, but I got about 40 minutes worth to say. I'll tell you what I want to do, man. I, tell you, I figured I could wrap this up in one... Sunday, but as I got into this, I realized something. I'm not going to do what I've heard so many other pastors do. I'm not going to end this service by saying, run to Jesus, and then leaving you to go figure out what that means on your own. So we're going to come back next Sunday. And we're going to take all the time we need. And I'm going to tell you exactly what you've got to do to get the plug in the outlet, to get the power flowing. So that you can one day be free and things can be different for you. Is that good? You come back. I'll show you that. Let me pray with you. Father, addiction is just a miserable way to live. To be enslaved to something. To be entangled with something we would like to be free from, but to find ourselves helpless to do so. It's discouraging. And uh, Lord, I, I, I tell you what. I'm grateful that you are showing us a way out. That you're showing that there's a way to break free to live free and I just pray that folks will cling to this truth this week and recognize that Jesus is that way Jesus is that way I pray that folks will come back next week I pray that especially the addicts that I'm speaking to right here they'll come back Lord I pray that you will just unfold a plan every step by step everything we need to do to make sure that we are engaging with your power and we are operating and fighting with your power, God. Because Lord, that's what I want. I want to see you make a difference in people's lives all over this church. I want to see you make a difference. I want to hear their testimonies at some point, Lord, of how you made a difference. And so I just pray, God, work, work in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray this together. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Have a great day. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you.